Father, we give you our thanks. We thank you for the plan that was made before creation. That your son Jesus Christ would come to this earth. That he would live. That he would give his life so that we might live. We stand in awe and we give you the praise that's due your name because of this glorious plan and love and compassion that you have and have for us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, Please be seated. So, tunnel vision, that's the loss of peripheral uh, vision, and auditory exclusion, which is a form of uh, temporary loss of, of hearing, or some sounds being excluded as opposed uh, to others, are familiar with those who have faced uh, immediate physical threat. The, the difficulty with this, with our first responders, our police, our military uh, folks, is that can negatively impact how they operate uh, because it lowers situational awareness. If you hear only certain things, if you see only certain things, then other things may be outside of your awareness. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman wrote a book about the physiological effects that combat has on the body. And in it, he told the story of a soldier who was firing Uh, fully automatic, yet he never heard a sound. He never heard a shot, I should say. However, the tinkling of the brass on the pavement below, he heard clearly, and it was perfectly audible to him. So with that in mind, I would like for you to watch the following video, and I want you to please pay careful attention to the players in white. So no need to raise your hands. I won't ask that. But statistically speaking, about half of you who saw that uh, and had never seen it before did not see the gorilla. Even a higher percentage would not have noted the color change of the curtain uh, or the player uh, leaving. Of course, once you've seen it, it, that'll never catch you again. That will never catch you again. But you will get caught again. In fact, any close-up, sleight-of-hand, magic, illusion kind of uh, stuff is all based on this notion of our attention being diverted. So a gorilla walking through a scene is one thing, but what does that have to do with Scripture? Many things, actually. But, but today we're only going to focus on one. And essentially, to either whether I put it in the form of a statement or a, a question, is it possible to miss a significant miracle because of a misplaced focus? Now, John 5, uh, 1 through 20 tells us that it certainly is. We began our story two weeks ago with John uh, 5, 1 through 8, where we saw that Jesus miraculously intervened and sovereignly healed 
a disabled man. He had not been able to walk for 38 years. The man didn't ask for it. It was simply the will of Jesus to do it. Jesus asked, do you want to be made well? A simple, direct, and easily answerable question. But the man could not even begin to imagine the possibility that he might be healed. His inability to walk was it for the rest of his life. It was so much so that he was not even able to answer the question at all. In fact, he ignored it. Uh, He spoke of what he had focused on. Number one, there's no one to help. Uh, There's this distance between me and the water. And besides that, even if I can scoot over there, uh, someone always would get in before me. So to see more than those things was quite literally impossible for him because that's where his focus was. He was just as blind as the man that Jesus healed his eyesight as he was to the possibility of him being healed. In fact, any other thought would have been foolishness to him. And and the notion that he might be made well was outside of his inability to conceive even the question. He did not hear what Jesus asked. So consequently, he couldn't give a real answer. Uh, It's not that he did not want to be made well. He most certainly did. It was just impossible for him to consider another option. Even though he had apparently witnessed as such many times when the water was disturbed. But Jesus broke into his reality and healed him. And we're going to pick this up, John 5, 9 through 15. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, uh, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, God's supernatural power was evident in this man's instantaneous uh, cure. Those muscles long atrophied were made uh, strong. They were fully restored. And any of you who've had an orthopedic injury know exactly what I'm talking about. The last of my three knee surgeries ended up the recovery being so long and so difficult, I lost three inches off my left thigh, just gone. And I've never gotten it all back. It was, and that was 20 years ago. It's just one of those, it's just one of those things. Silas Legros who was a friend of mine for three years and we kept in correspondence beyond, was the only survivor of the Bataan death march that I ever knew. And he spent four years in a prison of war camp 
And while there, he lost the ability to walk. And when he was freed, he had to be carried. He was hospitalized. And it took about three or so months for him to walk, and then only with a cane. What would 38 years have done to this man's legs? Anyone who says that this was anything other than a miracle, they simply haven't looked at the text. Not only was he able to walk, he picked up his mat and walked. Isaiah prophesied that in the days of the Messiah, uh, the lame would leap, and this, the Messiah, was here. Now, interestingly enough, a casual reader, as you look through this, might uh, look at the text and see that what John adds is almost an afterthought. Now, that day was the Sabbath, but the sentence is anything other uh, than uh, an afterthought. In fact, it's the key to the entire text. In, in truth, John is setting up the conflict that will be between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees over the next four chapters as the hypocrisy and the formalism of the religious observances reveal nothing short of really an anti-God quality. As I'll mention later when I very briefly discuss a little bit about legalism. The Sabbath was, in fact, the central issue of the conflict between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. So, so what is it? The Mosaic law required that work cease on the seventh day. So additional laws were added by the Pharisees and the scribes, and it became very complicated. It became very uh, burdensome. These human traditions actually obscured and hid the divine intention of God's law. In fact, so much so that in Mark uh, 2, 27, Jesus proclaimed the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And this was so that we could have rest and so that we could have a time of worship and a time of joy. Now, Jesus' healing on the Sabbath was no accident. I mean, Jesus did not forget that the day was Saturday. The Sabbath day, Saturday. Sunday being the first day of the week. He didn't forget that. He was not ignorant of the, the Pharisaic law. Here, let, me, let me read this to you. Whoever on the Sabbath brings anything in or takes anything out from a public place to a private one, if he has done it inadvertently, he shall sacrifice for his sins, but if willingly, he shall be cut off and shall be stoned. Now, the, the scribes had come up with about 39 additional rules about how uh, the Sabbath was supposed to be uh, conducted, and they were consumed. You, you can read this in a lot of the ancient works. They're consumed with answering the question, what is uh, work? For uh, example, if you were to carry something on the Sabbath day, that would be to work. So they had to figure out what work meant. 
Not only that, they had to figure out what burden meant. Was it work to wear clothing when you went out on the Sabbath because by wearing clothing you will burn energy, right? It's that kind of thing. So they came up with some answers because they weren't, you know, obviously you had to wear clothing. But here's what it was, quote, Food equal in weight to a dried fig. When was the last time any of you picked up a dried fig? I can't even imagine the only thing that would be less than a dried fig would be a dried fig. I don't know. Enough wine for mixing in a goblet. Milk for one swallow. Honey sufficient to put on a wound. Oil enough to anoint a small area. Water enough to moisten the eyes. Uh, paper adequate to write a customs house notice on. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> but only ink enough to write two letters. <laughs> what? So you've got paper where you can write some sort of announcement, but you only have ink that is two letters. That's what would be left over in the quill. I mean, you couldn't dip any ink at all. So hours, 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 hours were spent trying to determine whether or not it was lawful to be able to pick up your lamp in your home from one place in your home and move it to another place in your home. Now, you have to remember, lamps weren't big, uh, uh, you know, ungainly things connected with electrical wires. It was a small clay piece that burned oil. And so they, they argued about that. They argued about whether or not a tailor had sinned if he had inadvertently left his place of business and a needle was stuck in his robe. They argued whether you could wear artificial teeth uh, or whether you could pick up your child. Why did I, I spent some time there. Why? So that to help you give a sense of the notion that when Jesus said, my burden is light, you would have some idea what he was talking about. You cannot perform your way into the kingdom. Religion to the Pharisees was performance. I mean, so there was no surprise that Jesus tangled with the scribes and Pharisees about the Sabbath. Even today, to bring it in today's world, for observant Jews, for example, you, you can't tear toilet paper. So toilet paper has to be pre-torn uh, before the Sabbath. Uh, ovens had to have Sabbath modes, refrigerators, elevators, on and on. Uh, light switches you don't use. Everything's on a rheostat. Driving is forbidden. Even if there's an emergency situation where you have to drive, which is allowed, of course, but if it turns out like in labor, for example, if it's false labor, you get to the hospital, you can't get back. You have to get a Gentile to, uh, to drive you back. So I want you to understand something because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying uh, even under the, the table. I'm not saying this. My purpose is not being critical of other people's beliefs and their behaviors. My point is to show that when your focus is on the external, 
you will miss that which is internal. You will miss the spirit of what all of those laws were designed to help you have. Jesus knew all the rules. And as a rabbi, it was inconceivable that he hadn't spent hours with other rabbis and other teachers and other people talking about the Sabbath for many years. But unlike the other rabbis that he spoke with, he understood the spirit of the Sabbath. He knew that healing on the Sabbath would be seen as something to upset the established order. He knew that by commanding the man to carry the mat, that they would be even angered more. So why did he do it? In our text, Jesus did those two things that infuriated the Pharisees. He commanded the man to rise up. Rise up. What did that mean? Be healed. That was his question. Do you want to be healed? Rise up. And then he also commanded him to carry his mat, or some of your versions may say pallet. And so if moving a lamp from one place to another in your own home was an issue, this is out of the question and literally could result in this man's stoning. So initially, when the Jews challenged him, you have to understand, these weren't just uh, uh, Jews hanging out. Uh, most likely these were members of the Sanhedrin and they were charging him with violating the Sabbath. And as it turns out, you know, this dialogue in, in John, it rages on, as I mentioned, for the next four chapters with the argument being between the obedience to the Pharisaical additions to the law or the central idea being the authority of Jesus as the Son of God. So so we have to understand this in context. This man was in immediate danger of being stoned to death. And and in our modern mind, we say, no, 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 John. No, that doesn't happen. Yeah, it can happen this very day in certain parts of the world. Lesser perceived crimes. Crimes, in fact, can get you uh, killed in certain places. Yes, absolutely it happened then, and it was quick. And while the the man's faith is not so much uh, at issue here, because it does seem that Jesus just healed him based on his compassion for suffering. He just saw this guy, he had compassion, he reached out, he healed him, and uh, this man, uh, there is an expression of faith here, as I see it. And that is, he believed that anyone who had the power to heal him had the power to command him. And so that's what you end up with. They said, hey, you're violating the Sabbath. And he said, hey, the guy who healed me told me to pick up my mat and go. So that's what I'm doing. I'm being obedient to him. And of course, they were uh, keenly interested at that point. So who is this one who heals and then commands to carry uh, their bed. So in this, we really see how little they actually knew uh, and how little the man actually knew. The Pharisees and the scribes did not understand God or his law. 
The man didn't have any idea who uh, Jesus uh, was. And all he knew was that this man had walked into his life, healed him, gave him the use of his legs back and said, go. That's the sum of it. So I take the man's reply as a reflection of willing obedience. But I also take the exchange between him and the Jewish leaders as how shallow and understanding. Now, I realize our value systems have changed and I don't want to drive their moral and value systems, or I should say ours, back to them. But the universal truths are still applicable even if we did or did not do that. The point is they were so focused on the mat that they did not see the new legs. I mean, think about that. Their understanding of their tradition blinded them to see the miraculous work of God in their very midst. They didn't see it. For 39 years, this man had laid at this place and he did not have the strength to get to the water. But through God's power and authority and majesty, he was healed and it was utterly invisible to them. So John tells us in verses 14 through 15 that Jesus later found the healed man in the temple area. But he tells us that he later found him in the temple area. And the, the marvelous implication of that is that Jesus sought him out to speak to him. And I don't think it was an accidental meeting at all. Uh, in fact, I view uh, running into people that seem serendipitous or accidental or however you want to label it. I, I see all of those as divine appointments. Now, a divine appointment is a meeting with someone God has specifically uh, and unmistakably arranged for you. They have uh, some need uh, that the Holy Spirit set up that you're able to help them with. There, you're only one conversation from entering in with what God is doing into another person's life. Even if that person is someone you've never met before. So here, Jesus warned him to stop sinning or something worse would happen to him. I can't uh, take the time to go into a theological discussion of this and how it relates to John uh, chapter 9, which we'll get to uh, down the road. But it does not mean that he's saying that the man's paralysis was caused by some specific sin. This thing with the disciples was, is truly a destructive belief. That if you're sick or if you're injured and you can't get well, it's because you did something wrong. No, that is a lie that Jesus himself slams later in the book of John. Now, while it is true that all injuries and all suffering that we have is a result of sin in the larger sense, a specific illness related to specific sin is not in view here, the, what we have here is that he's, I think, speaking something uh, deeper. And uh, author and theologian 
brochure comments I think are helpful. These words, he writes, are not meant to be a cause and effect statement related to his sickness or paralysis. Such a direct identification between personal sin and illness, which was proposed by the disciples in the story of the blind man, was firmly rejected by Jesus. The statement of cause and effect in this story, therefore, must be taken to referring or as referring to the eschatological correlation between sin and judgment that undoubtedly is the meaning of something worse in Jesus' warning to the paralytic. In other words, there is a correlation between sin and judgment, but I don't want to simply heal your body, I want to heal your soul. There's a much deeper uh, implication here as to what Jesus is saying. So let's, let's just uh, pause again and remind ourselves that Jesus went and found him. I mean, in our day, there's a great deal of talk about looking for God or about finding Jesus, which I don't disagree with. But the danger lies in the possibility that we come to believe that that's our pursuit exclusively. And it's not. It's God's business. I would remind you of uh, just last week's message where I briefly described my uh, family of origin. And, And one of the things that I hope to have clearly communicated is that God will save whom God will save. I have no idea why God saved me. It was not because I was closer to that man who had lain lame. I wasn't in the pursuit of God. Just out of his compassion and for his reason, he saw me. He reached out to me and he generated in me something that could only be equivalent to... The dungeon filled with light. He was seeking the one, not the ninety and nine. We need to also pause and look a little deeper uh, into the meaning of the Sabbath. So what we have in the Sabbath is this notion of rest. It it means to cease, to stop uh, labor, uh, work It goes back to creation. It goes back to Genesis uh, 2, 2. And it tells us that after creating the heavens and the earth in six days, God rested on the seventh day from all his work. Now, this does not mean that God got tired. God could put the maximal energy into some creation and not be tired at all. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that God had to you know, rest on the seventh day. What it means is he stopped from his labor of creation. That's what he did. Uh, So what does it mean that he rested? Well, it was important to establish a Sabbath principle. The way he established that in the Old Testament was a Sabbath day itself. And that there is a Sabbath day of rest for the people of God, ultimately, we see that in Hebrews. 
they were to remember the Sabbath day. They were to keep it holy one day out of seven. And it was the same, not only for them, but it was the same for servants. It was the same for foreigners. It was the same for animals. It reached everywhere. And in fact, there were a, there's a lot more with the Sabbath. We could have an entire sermon on that. But what I would say is that the human mind and body and spirit needs rest. And it needs sleep. Now, rest and sleep are two different things. Uh, they're not the same, uh, but they're both crucial for our mental emotional, spiritual, physical health. Sleep helps us to reset. Sleep is when we store our memories appropriately and we don't leave them out on the table where they get lost but the emotions uh, remain. Uh, Sleep is something that we have to have. If you are sleep deprived, uh, your body will force you to sleep no matter what you're doing. That's why people fall asleep when they're driving. You can fall asleep doing anything if your body uh, demands it. And rest can be challenging to even define because rest is not simply sitting in front of a TV vegging. That's not what rest is. Rest is freedom from responsibility to measure. The responsibility to work, to get out there and and do something. Uh, Rest can actually be active. Uh, I find playing pickleball restful. Or it could be passive. You know, you sit down for 10 minutes to breathe uh, deeply. So however you choose uh, to rest and sleep, those behaviors can help you recover. And that one in seven is a very important thing. And you can tell some of you are, might even be behind that one in seven principle where you're feeling overwhelmed all the time. You don't feel like you can get caught up. You wake up tired. God created us. He knows that we need sleep. He knows that we need rest. The law tells us that the Sabbath day is to be kept holy and that there's no work to be done on it. I mean, that's so needed for us today, but not in some kind of pharisaical way, in the spirit of it that Jesus brings. The Pharisees' locus of spirituality was external it it wasn't what god was doing uh, for them in their heart it was what they were doing externally uh, for god we haven't spoken much about legalism legalism just briefly we'll get into some of these things as they're developed more in the book of john Uh, legalism is what blinded the pharisees legalism This notion that a person can earn merit or favor with God. They can gain God's approval by doing requirements, by doing things of the law. Uh, Thomas Schreiner uh, wrote, A legalist believes that their good works and obedience to God affects their salvation. Legalism focuses on God's laws more than their relationship with God. It keeps external laws without a submitted heart. And legalism adds human rules to divine rules 
but treats them as divine. You see, there, there's this notion there. There's a confusion between one's coming to Christ and one's walking in Christ. They're two separate uh, uh, things, and there's nothing that we can do to gain merit or favor with God for our salvation. Nothing. To experience tunnel vision or auditory exclusion is troubling if, you've, if you ever have experienced that. But to experience it spiritually in such a way that it excludes Christ, now that has eternal ramifications. So whatever else, number one, don't do that. But number two, don't let those who do that hinder you. It doesn't matter that the next person, what they believe, how they act. What matters is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I didn't talk too much about it, except for piece by piece, we've gotten it all morning about the Sabbath rest that Jesus provides. And so our focus, this is the wonderful thing about all of this. If we focus on Jesus to the exclusion of the other things, we will not miss the other things. But if we, exclude, if we focus on anything other than Jesus, uh, we will potentially uh, miss what it is that he wants in our life, including the miraculous you focus on Jesus, you won't be blinded by minutia. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Focus on Him. And as He says, come and see that He, who He is, and believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Father, we're deeply grateful for this story about this man who just sitting there and you reach out with a mighty hand and you, you heal his legs and then he doesn't even know who you are. And so you find him in the temple and you let him know that he should live a life that's worthy of that. We're so grateful because you've done the same thing for us. You've come into our lives, those of us who believe you have healed us. Give us the strength, the energy, and the courage and the open the aperture of our spiritual hearts and minds to see around us I just wonder at the miracles that we miss every day because we're focused on the tiny things that mean nothing in eternity. Open our eyes, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen.